All right, everybody. How are you all doing today? I am here live, actually, down on the uh, floor of the CBO. It used to be called CBOE. Now it's the CBO. That's the S&P 500 options pit right behind me. And let me tell you something here first. The Minds of Markets podcast is an exploration and deep dive into the minds of some of the best traders and investors in the market. Our goal is to help you, the listener, learn from some of the best out there and to improve your knowledge and skill set as a trader or investor. The Minds of Markets podcast should be used for information and entertainment purposes only, and the opinions expressed in this podcast are our opinions only. None of the information contained in the podcast constitutes a recommendation that any particular security, portfolio of security, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any specific person. And trading is risky, and past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All right, now that we got the legal stuff behind me and the lawyers can get off my case here again, thank you so much for being here. I am live on the floor of the SIBO, and what better? of a person to join me today than this gentleman right here, Mr. Ben Lichtenstein. Um, for those of you that don't know Ben, and I think you know most people in this industry know who Ben is, Ben is the host of Futures with Ben Lichtenstein, where he examines the latest developments in the futures market. Wow, they're it's busy back there in the S&P 500 pit. Uh, Ben's a 15-year trading veteran, member of the CME, Chicago Mercantile Exchange. He's former president of TradersAudio.com. That was my first introduction to Ben a long time ago, and we're going to talk about that. He's the industry's leading provider of Squawk Box Audio to traders around the world. He's committed himself to providing traders and investors with the most unique and educational information of information available. And anybody that ever tunes into the Schwab Network will absolutely know that because it happens every day. He helps them make the best financial decisions possible. He's made guest appearances on top news shows like CNBC, Bloomberg, Bloomberg Radio. He's been published in numerous periodicals, including Futures Magazine and Stocks and Commodities. And I think I, think I know a little bit about Ben. He really likes fishing. Right. And the outdoors. And I'm pretty sure you have a son that's a, uh, a really, really excellent ball player, baseball player, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So welcome, Ben. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely, Scott. A pleasure to be here with you guys and uh, really looking forward to the conversation. Appreciate the intro there. And uh, I mean, in many ways, that really sums it up. Again, uh, hosting the future show right now on the Schwab Network. Uh, um a decade-plus veteran of the trading floor over on the CME side of things. And then when we moved over to the Board of Trade, when they combined the two trading floors, uh, I spent a few years down there as well. And for the most part, kind of into the uh, last final years of the trading floor, into the pandemic and such. But uh, yeah, have been concentrating really on uh, in front of the camera side of things right now and uh, putting a lot of energy and effort into the show and uh, really just focusing on price, though, you know, and stunning the markets and continuing to stay dialed in on uh, existing trends. Well, there's no question about that, because, you know, I, I fortunately have the opportunity to speak with you multiple times a week on the show. And we always focus on trends, the current news, whether it's eco news, macro news, but it always comes down to the trends. In fact, when I do one of the segments on the Schwab Network, the big three, with you and Nicole Pavelides, you're you're like that guy from uh, 
what what's his name the, the guy that goes to the magic board right mm-hmm. during during mm-hmm. election time yeah. because i know you bring up those charts you bring up those you know trends and you are a disciple of that and so we follow that and i know your viewers follow that and tell me how important um how important from maybe a macro standpoint is it to follow the trend i know we you know you always say the trend is your friend right what what does that yeah. tell an investor or a trader well you really opened up a can of worms here scott because <laughs> That's uh, good. Uh, the, the, this is my thing right so yep. um if I'm going to move the camera around, start jumping up and down on the table here and get really excited, then I'm just kind of uh, giving a little fair warning here. No, yep. I'm half kidding. But this really is, uh, for me, it's about everything's about trend um, and uh, trying to position yourself with it. And, uh, you know, I'll explain a little bit how it was introduced to me as I get into it. And you'll maybe understand a little bit why, for me, it's so significant. But it really starts with the fact that for me, and every trader is different, right? So your approach towards what you expect to get out of and uh, um, your methods are always going to be different depending on who you are. But there are some similarities and some situations that you'll see reoccurring within traders in the psyche of and how we handle price and uh, trying to take advantage of opportunity that presents itself. But for me, um, my story goes back to being a, a child and the product of divorce, you know, one of five kids in a house where for one, we didn't have a lot of money for two, my mom was always very busy. And so she would tell us, you know, as we're pulling on her, uh, you know, uh, uh, skirt or her apron as she's making dinner, she'd go play in the backyard, go do something, leave me alone. I'm busy. Go, go busy yourself somehow. And so that's all, that's all you got. Because my dad used to tell me when I would bother him, here's a quarter, go play in the street. (laughs) (laughs) So, so for me, it was always about go do something and a very close association with money, right? So losing it never felt good for me. And I kind of always had to busy myself. And I found as a trader, those weren't necessarily good things, right? Um, I found myself over trading, found myself way too emotional about losses, right? And, And so it really, I was searching and looking for something that would kind of help me with that and just struggling, right? I would find one thing and it would work for a little while, find another and it didn't, but never really found any consistency. And then I was introduced to the concepts, the principles associated with auction market theory. And for me, it unlocked an enormous amount of uh, many doors in that for one, I helped, uh, it helped me learn how to and identify trends, simply put, that's it. And then over the years, what I started to learn is once I could identify trend that I could have a lean. If the market's trending higher, I'm a trend trader. So I want to look for long positions, basically. So immediately I can, I, I can eliminate half of that, that yeah. voice in my head that's going, buy here, sell here, buy here, sell here. You should get short here. You should get long here. And that constant tug of war, that, that devil and angel on each shoulder, you know, and as you're watching price activity go. And, and sometimes you do both. And at the end of the day, you lost money and you're sitting there going, I listened to both of you guys, but, but how did I lose money? You know, and, and you just and generated just a lot of commissions and back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for me, watching trend helped me kind of, uh, for one, identify which direction I wanted to position with, uh, long or short, based on trend. It helped me figure out opportuni- areas that were that would provide opportunity for me to participate in that trend. So uh, key areas to look for where prices reach that would provide opportunities to join in with the existing trend. And basically at that point, once I'm participating with, all I have to do is hope that it continues and have an area where I've defined that if it takes that area out, it goes counter 
uh, my working assumption that the market's trending in this direction, if it goes against me, that I, I know that I need to get out because that working assumption is no longer a valid one. But even through that process and that explanation, what you should be hearing there, Scott, is immediately what's been removed is the emotion, right? Because as I enter into a trade, I go long based on a trend of the upside, and I hope it continues. And if it doesn't, I get out. It's not something that I've done wrong as a trader. You know, I remember back on the trading floor, one of the sayings is, you're only as good as your last trade. And that really stuck with me. I'd have a losing trade, and I'd go take a break, and I'd be kicking right. around dust going, I'm the worst. I'm never going to make be successful at this. But that's wrong. It, it, it's, it's more a representation of a, a large cost section of trades and how you are. Do you have positive expectancy over a period of time, right, over multiple trades? Not one trade in many ways is very random over that larger, bigger picture. So again, just to kind of get back to trend and, and you know, summarize all this, for me, it really, it, it was freeing in so many ways because it eliminated a lot of the emotion. It helped me kind of take away the, I think it looks like, it feels like I want it to's when I'm trying to determine which way the market's going. And it helped me find an area where I can have reasonable expectancies based on the assumption that the trend is your friend uh, uh, that the continuation is more likely than change, another way of putting it or uh, that I've heard it stated as. And then, and then again, providing those parameters, those areas where I can get in uh, with well-defined risk. And, and at many times, although I feel like it's hard to determine a target, in some instances that's possible, but in many instances you can look for a very well-defined risk-reward type parameter that's going to set you up over the long haul where you don't have to be a, you know, a, a, a uh, sharpshooter. You can be more like a baseball player where even if you're hitting 370, you know, 375, you're going to the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? You don't have to necessarily be. A lot of traders feel like they have to have 50, 60, 70 percent win ratio. Which is not the case. Yeah, if you're doing it properly, you may only have 30%, just like, again, a Hall of Famer. You know, you're going to walk back to the dugout quite a bit of times with your chin in your chest, but but you're also going to, over the long period of time, if you've done it properly, provide a positive expectancy, which is really what we're and, looking for. Exactly. And, you know, you touched on the two things that I've certainly you know learned over 35 years and that um, I would say most traders at least think about. And the ones that don't, um, the ones that aren't successful, emotions. Mm -hmm. Right. And they mm -hmm. can't accept loss. Oh, absolutely. Two, the two biggest, you know, hindrances to yeah, being a successful trader. It's it's part yeah. of trading. Yeah. The key is, though, and it's, the, the key is, though, accepting that loss. That's what turns maybe a 30, 35 yeah. percent win loss yeah. ratio into yeah. profitability. You accept that loss. You stop. And you move on. Right. Yeah. Well, those winners, you're letting run a little bit. And the, and the trend and, and you know some of the technicals that you're looking at allow you or at least help you to be able to do that. You know, Scott, that makes me think of a funny story. I was, um, it was, you know, when, right when I started out the squawk, I can't remember the name of the company. I'm trying to remember. It was a prop shop that was opening up and hiring a bunch of traders uh, in one of the buildings. And I went for an interview and I sat down. I was about to talk and I was kind of, again, just starting out the business, wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go. Um, a lot of trading desires and wants. And um, I was sitting down for the interview and I walked into a classroom where they had just been talking to their, all their new hires, basically, and giving them their one of their lessons. And the guy was erasing the whiteboard. And I saw the last little line that said, learn to like to trade, learn to like to take small losses. 
And and loss is a difficult thing for a lot of people, you know, whether you're talking about personal life or financial, I mean, losses create, stirs up a lot of emotion. You know, for me, I told you as a child, it involved divorce, you know, not having a lot of money, not, you know, so very personal associations for me. And, um, what I like about two things, I think about loss in terms of trading. I often, I, for me, it's easiest to think about like trading's a business, right? No matter how you slice it. Um, um, it, for me, I think of it as almost like a construction business. You got to put gas in that, um, in that crane or in that, um, bulldozer and that, um, in the forklift and all the machines that you need to operate to do the job in the construction project in order to ship out that invoice. Right. And get that that invoice and that and get paid yeah. and, and have your your income. But when you're filling up those tanks kind of sucks. Right. Because it's expensive. You're putting gas in those tanks. So I think of the loss in trading. It's sort of like, OK, putting gas in the tank, but I'm doing the job here and I'm going to be able to get that invoice and get that bigger picture return. And then lastly, I think of loss and being in a trade and kind of learn to like to take small losses is also along the mindset of like, get out of those trades sooner rather than later. So you're not dwelling on a trade when you could have mental energy and capacity to focus on something else. How bad is the shoulda, how bad is the shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? Yeah. And and in some ways, you know, it sucks to have a losing trade, but I'd rather know that I'm in a terrible trade sooner rather than later and not be drawn out in this trade and have mental capacity and energy spent on something where I, again, I could just move on. You know what I mean? So, so, Hey, it stinks to click. And then get stopped out, right? You know, but but in some ways, you know you're wrong. Move on. You know what I mean? So the working assumption that, that the market and conditions are no longer the same as they were. So so yeah, loss is difficult, but it's definitely part of trading. And if you can't accept it, then you end up being like a deer in headlights, right? And and you, you're in a trade one day. I've done this. We've all done this. I did this half a dozen times. You, you're sitting there. I can't accept loss. I don't want to take a 500 or $5,000, a $500,000 loss, whatever your increment is. But all of a sudden, that turns double what you didn't want to take, triple. And before you know it, you've cleaned out your account. You know, because you were stubborn and you couldn't take a loss when you knew when you knew better, but you couldn't pull the trigger because emotion got in the way. Again, getting back to trend for me, what I look at is on the chart, these areas of value that form along the way up in a trend environment, you see consolidation areas separated by this high conviction vertical type price activity. So horizontal, vertical, horizontal, and sometimes more apparent than others. But when it's present, that's when you're looking to participate more heavily than when it isn't. And so. You have these areas of value that form and you're constantly referencing the prior area with the working assumption that we're going to continue to form uh, established value at higher and higher levels. But if we start to retrace, then again, you have these well-defined areas where it's not the you're sitting here kind of going, oh, I'll give it a little more room or I'll give it this. It's a very systematic approach. Hey, it's pulled back to an area where that working assumption that I had is no longer a valid one. It's no longer valid for me to be in this trade anymore. You know what I mean? I got to get out. And so, and again, so when that happens, so when that happens, do you sometimes look at a reversal or do you just say, you know what, the yeah. assumption's not there anymore. It's not the reason I got in the trade. I'm out. I'm moving on to something else. Well, that, that's a good question because I, I like to be very time frame specific when I'm talking about trading. So let's just say that, for example, you were trading a daily trend to the upside on a daily chart and and then all of a sudden you got stopped out. You've now seen, obviously, some momentum to the downside, right? So your 60-minute candle chart or your more intra intraday charts, the more granular you get, you're going to start to see trend to the downside on yeah. those 
more intermediate charts versus your bigger picture. You know what I mean? Because that that invalidation first started to occur on the more granular charts. The five minutes started to see areas of value start to move lower. While it still wasn't defined on the daily that that was not a valid trade, but you, you'll look on the more. So yes, in many instances, if you wanted to, in that sense, scale down in terms of your time frame, get a little bit more granular, I think there'd be uh, reversal type trend opportunities that would be presented there. But for the most part, when I get, when I'm out of a trade, most of my trades, I'm kind of looking at on a few different time frames, um, taking risk on a smaller time frame, um, and, and looking for reward on the bigger picture on the longer term time frame. And so for me, if I get stopped out of a trade, I, it tends to be just take a step back and move on to a different product and kind of look for that next trend tomorrow. Because I always say the non-trenders of today are the trenders of tomorrow. So it tends to be the, the exact, the opposite of that coin plays out as well. When, you, when you've had a really well-defined trend that's kind of all of a sudden stalled out, it, it takes a little time to redefine that new trend. Or lastly, here's another way of thinking of it. If, if it's very odd, just to answer specifically the question you asked that I'd be long stopped out and then that enters that sparks a short for me yeah. what i do look for is a long that gets stopped out but then if you re-advance and reignite that move higher and take out the prior high then i think that is is opens up a door for another new long it's it's a little bit risky it's a very aggressive initiative oh, that makes sense at a higher level but but yeah it resumes the trend basically you can get stopped out and then you want to get back into the trend if it resumes itself with conviction because those are that's partially sometimes what happens in longer term trends. You get stopped out, re-enter the trade and and trade around a trade sometimes, which will actually provide the profit that you are looking for when the longer term trend and sometimes just doesn't, you know, maybe manipulating that trade or trading around the position with a core long, but sometimes getting in and out of them as we kind of chop in that random type uh, uh rotational horizontal type pattern so there's a lot of different ways to approach it but yes um a trend is at the base and at the you know root and foundation of all of it and there's no question and, and that's part of the murphy's law of trading also is right you you could have the right position on and if you get stopped out by a tick or two we've all been there right and you're like oh great I, you know i got stopped out that's oh why did i get stopped out right because i had this right my time frame was maybe off a little bit and Absolutely. so that that's all part of the emotional part of it as well. And and that's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. For me, my experience, Scott, has been some of the best traders that I've watched have been most easily or readily able to identify that when, hey, they got stopped out, but whoa, I was wrong. You know what I mean? I actually was right. I got shaken out and they get back in quickly versus kind of sitting there and then watching the market go away from them and be like, I knew that I, I should have back I in. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that yeah. that was that I that I got uh, shaken out there prematurely, you know. So it's that ability to sort of, um, and and it's different than that kind of hope and a women a prayer and oh I got stopped out by a tick the market's kind of chopping around my stop, I'm going to get back in here for That's finding different. other reasons to now that have is. a different trade on that wasn't based on the original plan and the you know I'm a big fan of plan the trade trade the plan I think that's important I think it helps you manage the emotions again kind of getting back to it and I'd agree with what you said too that's a major area where a lot of traders may personally suffered many pitfalls was just just feeling too close to the trade each individual trade meaning too much it, I like to think of it as more put on a basket of positions you know five six half a dozen or more, all of a sudden, each one of those individual trades means a lot less. You're kind of looking at this more sort of this cross section of your 
uh, approach towards understanding price activity and, again, trying to take advantage of some of the opportunities that presents itself within. Yeah, so that that's a really good point because, you know, the guys behind me here in the S&P 500 pit and like how we used to trade on the floor, that's how we would trade, right? You didn't have yeah. one position and hope yeah. that it worked or didn't work. You right. were put on right. a basket of trades. Putting them on, taking you, them and, off, right. Exactly. So you had this big, you know, let's call it portfolio rather yeah. than man, I have this one call spread on and I got stopped out mm -hmm. and, and now I got to start again. Absolutely. So big, big difference there now. So taking your expertise on trends, seeing what the year has been like, what trends could we potentially <laughs> expect coming into next year? You know, is it is a trend of energy now to the downside after seeing some strength all year long? Is it trends in the bond market after seeing, you know, the, the volatility that we saw, especially with, with the bond market, with bonds selling off and now rallying towards the end of the year and rates all over the place? What, what trend, if anything, can we take into the new year other than the fact that, you know, there's going to be some volatility? Well, I think there's, I, I agree with that. I think there's two things to think about when you're talking about trend. One is there's trends amidst the fundamentals and then there's trends within price, right? And so we're always kind of looking at both. Both. I think one of the trends in terms of the fundamentals is definitely going to be that the Fed's going to be in focus, right? Their data dependence is going to be discussed. We'll be talking a lot about some of the individual numbers, the, the you know, movement that creates in terms of some of the uh, smaller kind of blip on the radar type moves as far as just the initial reaction and uh, anticipation of where the number come in and, uh, um, you know, which in many ways contributes to that bigger picture kind of randomness in many ways. But OK, in terms of price, um, you know, I, I think that what we've seen is a significant move off of uh, the October lows, right, where you can't deny that there's been a pretty well-defined trend of the upside in the indices with yields coming off. But yields are right now kind of testing this key area oh, right yeah. around uh, 4%, uh, that area that we broke out of uh, um, into this fall. And so kind of pulling back to that key area around the October highs, I think it was. And I think 4% is going to be interesting to watch. Four to five, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to find a little bit of a range here as we sort of try and get a better feel for where the Fed's coming from at this point. The markets have gotten a little bit ahead of some of the Fed rhetoric, and we've seen a significant pullback from 5% back down to around 4.1, just above 4%. But again, I feel like there's a good possibility to fill, feed into that trend that we've seen uh, to the upside. Again, uh, yields have been significantly, while well, trending higher, pretty well-defined trend. Again, recently to 5% in the 10-year. I think uh, we could start to just get a bit contained in this area. Again, 4 to 5 right now. Um, um, not necessarily, you know, a line in the sand, but but an area to watch. So I was going to, I was actually going to ask if if we've gotten ahead of the Fed because I feel like we have a little bit, and yeah, I feel I mean, like the market's going to feel a disappointment that if the Fed doesn't lower rates in you know one of the next two or three meetings, that the market's going to take that pretty negatively. That that it's almost like a buy the rumor, sell the news type of event. Yeah, well, this market's been very resilient um, uh, as, you know, we've uh, as the Fed and, and traders have kind of pegged the whole uh, interest rate environment wrong. I've been saying for a while now, I feel like the market and I'd expect this to continue to be a trend. Right, Scott? Uh, investors are focused on the positive and kind of discounting the negative. You know, um, another thing that I think it, that we're watching right now as we head into the holiday markets is a bit of a. Um, don't sell into a dull market type scenario. You know, we had a couple big events throughout the month of November, which 
did provide a significant catalyst to the upside. The S and P's from what forty one twenty at the end of October all the way up to almost forty six hundred. Uh, you had the FOMC, you had a non farm payrolls event, you had a CPI event along the way. But in being those three major events, it's been a kind of a grind to the upside. Again, into feeds into that don't sell into adult market. Now, as we approach the um, October highs. Um, yeah, it was the October highs in the month of November. There was a little bit of a question uh, whether or not this was kind of just the old uh, other sort of adage. We were asking, uh, raising two questions. Are we in a don't sell dull market type scenario or are we in a, um, this is a dead cat bounce type environment? And I was really looking at those, uh, those October highs as the key area to watch. We rifled through those, right? Took them out uh, with conviction with the NASDAQ for the most part leading. Tech's been very strong. Another trend I would expect to continue. Uh, um, but assuming we don't take out the 5% level in yields, that, that high that we recently right. saw. That's, that's, that that's definitely a wild card there. But interestingly enough, as rates have come off here, Scott, we've kind of stalled out right around the September highs. And then you've got the July highs from uh, this year in the S&Ps, which were still well below at this point. So, again, I, I think if rates remain in this range, four to five, expect to see the S&Ps kind of digestive below those July highs well above the October lows, I think. Uh, uh, 4120, we'll call it, I think it's 48 or something like that, or 46 something, I can't think of it. Maybe the all-time highs would, would be a big breakout, right. But the, the July highs from this summer, this year's highs, I think gonna be tough to get above those without rates coming off. But again, uh, one of the trends has been uh, that that investors have really focused on the positive, they discounted the negative. I think price has been a reflection thereof and tough to get in the way uh, of an environment like this. But if the data starts to suggest something different, Scott, we're going to, you know, I think it'll be pretty clear and evident then as well. But this is all very supportive of the uh, Fed's initiatives, what they've been trying to do. And anytime a number comes out nowadays, I envision Powell sitting up with his feet on the desk, a stogie, you know. See, I told you it was transitory. Yeah. It just transitory, maybe a little bit longer. And, and puffing with the <laughs> other, you know, so. Yeah. No, there's no question that, that the recent data over the last, you know, four weeks, six weeks, very, very suggestive of what they thought would happen with their plan all along and yeah. just has taken a lot longer than yeah. they originally thought it would. And, um, you know, we'll see how that plays out. I, you know, right now, the, the we're, we're in this bad news is good news for the marketplace. Yeah. At some point, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little concerned that may catch up. Yeah. If we continue to get weaker and weaker and weaker, you know, data points here, at some point that's going to catch up and say, you know, maybe this isn't so good for the economy anymore. But that's down the road a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, I was I was wondering if we had, and asking a couple of our guests, if we had a um, false sense of complacency in terms of this rally that we were seeing, um, or if uh, this was for real, right? If uh, this move up that we were seeing off the October lows was, could see some follow through. And I, a lot of our guests were talking about the dollar was going to be, um, would be a major influence in terms of, you know, tip the scales one way or the other. And it's interesting because the dollar's kind of been holding right around 103, 104, you know, which is a very range bound type level, range bound in terms of where we've been this year, recently from 97 up to what is it, 103 ish, I think, or I'm sorry, one, uh, one, 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 one
Yeah, nine yeah, and, and, well, and longer over the last couple of years. Yeah, like 114, yeah. I think it is down to, again, that 99 or 89 area. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to look at the chart here right now. But yeah, 103 is a very middle of the range type area that the market, that the dollars found a lot of comfort. So again, sort of waiting for more information is the way I like to think of it. When you get a market that's sort of in the middle of a range like that, well off an extreme, right? Markets don't spend a lot of time by, on extremes by definition, as we always say. And and so that's what I look for. And and I think it, it it's going to be pivotal one way or the other in terms of, uh, um, for one, we've seen a little bit of a disconnect with rates recently. And I think you can chalk that up to kind of some of the expectations from some of the other central bankers globally, right? We talk about the ECB right. expecting to cut first, the dollar. We spoke about that this earlier this morning. Yeah, exactly. And you so and I I the checking yep. order there is going to be significant. And, and again, you know, the dollar is kind of a funny product because – on one hand, you've got the rate influence there and, uh, you know, treasuries. And then on the other hand, you've got uh, the foreign currencies, you know, as I like to say, the tail that wags the dog. Um, but but and and it seems like one's the driving force when the other isn't. But it gives you a lot to focus on. And the dollar oftentimes is at the center of many of those uh, decisions, again, um, in terms of the market's decision one way or the other, which way to tip. Whether you're talking commodities, you know, gold, oh, definitely. It's the go-to. Um, or the indices, you know, especially the Dow and with some of those multinationals, those big names, dollar, you know. Um, and, and you know what? It wasn't so long ago. It was literally just a couple months ago, maybe, maybe over the summertime, where a lot of the pundits out there, a lot of the analysts out there left the dollar for dead. Oh, right? for sure. oh the, the, the dollar's done. You know, once we went, you know, subpar, the dollar's done. It's no longer the reserve currency of the world, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then here we are. So. Well, and you also have a similar situation like that, for example, with crude. You know, now that we're just kind of going uh, uh, spitballing markets here, I feel like um, up around 95, I remember this fall, everyone was calling 100, right? Triple-digit oil, here we come. And it wasn't even really that big of a deal there. Out on the limb, $5 off. And, and in many ways, I guess one could argue, hey, what's five bucks amongst friends, right? 95 is essentially $100, right? No matter how you slice it. But well, the market, market likes those big round numbers, though. It does. But the one thing that was really interesting is that at that time, gas wasn't participating to the upside, you yeah. know. So, so again, kind of giving the market something positive to focus on, gas prices not uh, seeing that same run-up that we were seeing WTI prices. Again, September, I think it was, into the beginning of October, up around 95, uh, focused on the positive. Gas prices, price of the pump aren't really inflating and sh inflation concerns or reigniting inflation concerns. Discount the negative. Hey, nobody wants to see crude up near triple digits. But then look what happened. That divergence resolved to the downside. Crude came off back down to 70. I think it was City at the time. When they were the ones. The they were the ones. Hey, yep. 70 is more likely. They talked about abundance. They talked about demand concerns, U.S. production, and all that's come to fruition, you know? 100%. The demand is down, and U.S. production now is above pre-pandemic levels. We're at all-time records right now. So you have that confluence here that, that really brought the price down. All right. I got to pivot because you know I have to bring this up. And this was, this was my first introduction to you. We're talking 13 years ago, right? The all-time greatest call in the history of sports in the history of world news and in the history of the market I'm, put, I'm putting no it up there with al michaels it, i'm putting it up there with al michaels and in the usa hockey team okay 2010 all of a sudden you're doing your thing you're traders audio you're standing outside the s p pit at, at, at the mark watching futures trade 
and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Flash crash. Yeah. What do you remember about that other than your iconic call that we're going to play a little clip for for our uh, our, our listeners? Eighty-nines are trading. Eighty-eight hounds are trading. Eighty-seven evens are trading. Eighty-six evens are trading. Eighty-five evens are trading here now, guys. All the way down. Eighty-four evens are trading here now, guys. Eighty-two evens are trading. Paper comes in a big seller. Eighty-one evens are trading here now, guys. Seventy-nines are trading. You got seventy-nines trading here now once again. Seventy-eights are trading. Sixes are trading. 76 evens are trading here now, guys. 75 evens are trading. Four evens. Three evens are trading here. Two evens are trading. 72 evens just traded. Once again, guys, we are a big-time even bid here now, guys. 72 even offer. 68 evens are trading. What do you remember about that? And for those of you that don't know what happened, in, in 2010, there was what, you know, is called a flash crash where there was let's call it a glitch in the markets where we saw pretty much unprecedented moves um and you were literally right there calling it what what do you remember about that um everything in many ways and uh you know scott i i appreciate it it was a moment in time captured that um i, I love that i was part of you know um start to finish basically the market had been under pressure May 6, 2010, as you remember, um, and there was a lot going on. You know, there was some geopolitical tensions going on. There was a fair amount of uncertainty out there. And, the and I, I was actually trading S&P 500 options for Goldman Sachs at the time. Yeah, the market went into quite the tailspin, uh, and it was not looking good. And it, it accelerated at a rapid rate throughout the morning into the day. And um um, the energy was just um, insane, Scott. And keep in mind, this was a period where we had transitioned from a lot of the trading that was going on in the S&P pit had already transitioned to um, the screen, right, to the yeah. E-mini. So most of the volume, a lot of the traders, for the most part, were standing around and more than looking at each other and paper flow into the pit, they were more looking at the screen and the ticker on the wall in terms of where the mini was trading and watching Movement kind of like in the mini are doing right now. <laughs> yeah, and trying to grab paper in the pit that yeah. that you know was just kind of lingering and sitting around and, and picking up scraps in many ways. Now, don't get me wrong, hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time sure. in scraps, sure. right? In, in many instances, but but um, but so so there was it was a period where the trading floor had kind of hit this lull, you know, and I had this broadcast where I was communicating every tick basically. Um, moment by moment for years from the trading floor. And so we had kind of seen a few of these waves, these up and downs where volume, a lot of energy, a lot of, um, you know, um, desire to be on the floor and have that close connection to price activity. And then there were times for years when the VIX would be trading around eight and nine, where it was kind of like, hey, the SPs are in a seven. Uh, come on. <laughs> right. yeah. I don't need to know what's going on. Uh, you know, on a minute, second to second basis, because it's like watching paint dry. Right. I, I can. So, so, so there were these kind of ups and downs that occurred and we were kind of coming out of a little bit of a down. There was a lot of energy and I really, you know, wanted to feed into it in many ways. And so, so as the energy started to come on, 
you can hear it in my voice. I mean, I'm I'm portraying every little ramp up and, and um, you know, portraying what I'm seeing visually from these guys that are watching and all of a sudden the look on their face, the amazement of it all. And, and you can hear it kind of go in and out, but, but it was a, uh, once in a lifetime event to be able to stand there experience and the connectivity that I had and the representation of it all literally tick for tick in many ways. Um, but we were moving at 10 handle increments in the S and P's, you know what I mean? So for example, today we might have a 40 or 50 point range. Literally that was happening in less than a minute, you know, and um, it's got a, I, uh, you know, it's got a nine, it's got an eight, yeah. it's got a yeah. seven. I mean, I mean, the, the, our listeners will, will be able to hear the clip, but you, you keep was, in mind half of what I'm reading is the screen and the pit because the screen yeah. is leading in many ways. You know what I mean? And the pit, and then at times it would pause, and everybody kind of look around and go, "Are we still? Is this for real?" And then it would start up again. You know, and so so that's just the nature of price activity. But um, but most of it was high energy to the downside. Um, some of the other details I remember, I can't tell you in this, uh, environment, <laughs> under, you know, yeah, there's but, a lot um, of those <laughs> There were a lot of rumors spreading in terms of what caused it, you know, but, but we were literally at the epicenter of it, you know, at that time. And, and, and again, I just want to stress the fact that it was a unique environment because we were transitioning from where the floor was, where all of the information generated yep. from to now is kind of a bit of a secondary source of information and we were more in many ways responding to what was happening on the screen um, versus, uh, you know, the screen responding to what was happening in the show. Sure. So, so it was a really interesting environment. But that tug of war that happened is as these spreads wide, the bid ask offered, the bid offer spread. I mean, again, 10, 20 points wide, you know, you'd, you'd have guys putting in orders to sell and having to wait five, 10 minutes before they knew where they were filled. You know, it was literally like it was like. Like it had been 15, 20 years ago when I first started trading on the, or, you know, first being on the trading floor was like, you know, like being a bee in a beehive, you know, and just so much energy around you that was like, you know. That's what um, I miss most about trading on the floor. Yeah, we all do. We all do. We, we all do. We all wish, you know. Yeah, the human connectivity in many ways. Yeah. It, exactly. Well, I, I, w I will tell you, uh, a friend of mine who, who has mentioned you. And unfortunately, he couldn't be with us today because he's actually in the recording studio. Gavin DeGraw um, mentions you very often, and he calls you the ticker tape guy. So when you, when you and I go see him together in concert in about six weeks or so, we're going to bring that up. And, and yeah. you may have to give him just a little small rendition of what happened that it. day. I look forward to it. Uh, but Scott, that was an interesting really, time. That was, uh, yeah. again, just the, the auctioneer style of the broadcast, really trying to provide uh, information to those that were off the floor with the same access to the information that they would have yeah. if they were standing right there themselves in the pit without all the pushing and shoving, as I used to like to say, you know, it's, it's like you're standing right there without actually having to be there and dealing with all those guys, you know? So, and, um, and for, you know, for most people, mo most traders in the world that have never experienced being down here on the floor, being in a pit, yeah. you brought the yeah. real live emotion to yeah. them. And, that was the and, product. You know, yeah. Exactly. And the energy exactly. and the commitment I had to it, you know, there was never a down moment for me. I turned the mic on and I 110% bell to bell, you know, literally bell to bell. Well, you bring that same energy to the network now, of course. So um, listen, I, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us and giving everybody your insights, you know, into the market, into the way that you look at things, which are so important. I mean, you're so, um, 
you know, you're, you're so prescient with when we go through these charts and looking at these trends. Um, it really makes sense when, when yeah. you go to the big screen and show everybody. So I really appreciate it, Ben. Yeah. No, Very I'm passionate about it, Scott. For me, many, mostly because it's, a, like I said, it, it was such a freeing experience for me to learn how to participate with trend, to eliminate the emotions and, and some of the aspects of that helped me kind of overcome in terms of trading. And so I think it's important to spread that message, right? And let other people know that there is there is a way to avoid the randomness, not to contribute to it as much and more take advantage of some of the opportunities that it presents itself. Because as traders, we oftentimes, you know, my brother used to say, we beat ourselves, our heads against the wall because of how good it feels to stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, that, that's, that's so defeating. True. That's defeating. We, let's find a different way. You know, I always used to say, I used to live life on the extremes, trade in the middle. I've learned how to trade on the extremes, live life in the middle. And live you know? life. Yeah. There you go. The other's and, too and exhausted. That, it's very exhausting. No doubt about it. Okay. Last question. If you could have us bring anybody on yeah. for our next guest or a guest yeah. down the road, who would you like to see? Well, I, I have to give you a heads up. I had a second to think about this. I'm glad because otherwise I had no idea what my <laughs> answer would have been if it had been on the spot here. But I have a guest who comes on the show a lot, uh, um, Scott, and the two of you would really connect, I think. And um, just because, again, of this this trader mentality, this this mindset, the experience, the personal, um, you know, uh, associations with price and all of it is very much like we are. Um, Jerry Parker, one of the original turtle traders, Dennis, uh, uh, um, 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 why am I blanking on his name right now? Um, Jerry Parker, Chesapeake Capital, a trend follower to the core. He says, he okay. says, when I, when I, I base trade on two things, he maybe, I think he says three things, trend, trend, and trend. In trend. There we um, go. Be a great yeah, follower. It's an this. approach than I have, but very, very approachable guy. And uh, again, as one of the original um, uh, turtle traders, um, yeah, uh, uh, years awesome. and years of experience uh, that that just can't be duplicated. So if, if and when we have the good fortune of having him on, and hopefully our producers are listening and are reaching out to him right now, got to make sure that you listen in. At least we have we'll have uh, someone out there listening into this now. But appreciate that because we like to get references we like to you know i'm sorry get, i said dennis it's richard dennis that's what i was thinking there we One go of the richard, original, dennis. richard dennis the original turtle tur tur traders right there we go so, sorry scott i had to you. i had to jump in there it's all good so thank you again so much ben i mean i i enjoy every time i get to you know do a hit with you on on the network uh which fortunately is is pretty often and i know it's always a good spirited conversation and and you know a lot of times when you have these interviews, you know, there's softball questions. And I would say many times, many times, especially when we're doing a big three segment, you know, we, we are not like that. I mean, if yeah. you have your opinion, I have yeah. my opinion. Yeah. That's great. And we'll, and we'll discuss and, yeah. you know, there could be two different outcomes. You know, what I love is sometimes when you're talking about a level, I've, I've established my charts, my levels without even looking at the trades, the ideas that you have completely irrelevant of, but sometimes you'll say a level that's met that you've got your eye on and it matches right up on my yeah. chart. And I'm like, all right, that means that this is a, an area to have heightened awareness. You should be dialed in here. And I like when we're on the same page in terms of picking out the key areas 
uh, to watch, right? Because that's really what it is. It's not necessarily about, again, uh, one tick doesn't mean as much as it seems like oftentimes, uh, you know, and so it's more an area in terms of when you're it trying to an area. price. And, and I think that's important to be able to see those significant areas. It, it is because it's rare that we'll ever hit the bottom tick or hit sure. the top tick. Sure. Still, sure. got to look at it. All right. Sure. Thank I you so that. much, Ben. Big happy, time, happy Scott. holidays Thanks to, you. to you and your family. Uh, I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Take Good care. Take Thanks care, for having me. Thank you.